Hello, and welcome to Celebrate Like a CEO. I am your host, Stefan Whitwell, Austin-based CEO of Whitwell & Company, a nationwide wealth management firm. Every Monday, I bring on some of the brightest and best business owners and CEOs in the country to talk shop, get their insights on how to run a successful business, and importantly, how to succeed without burning out by taking the time to celebrate. Now, let's get to today's show. Today, we have a really special guest joining us, Carrie Colbert, who is the founder of Curate Capital, a remarkable venture capital investment business headquartered here in Texas, but investing in women-owned businesses across the country. Prior to launching this venture fund and venture business, she was a very, very successful executive in the energy space here in Texas, which, as you know, is a very competitive, very competitive business. But she thrived. She helped her company be extremely successful. And it's a pleasure to welcome Carrie on today's show. So without further ado, I'm excited to welcome Carrie Colbert to Celebrate Like a CEO. Carrie, welcome to Celebrate Like a CEO. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today and excited for the listeners to get a chance to get to know you better. So um, got a lot of fun questions here, and I want to start with one that takes us back a few years. Uh, Thanks for having me, first of all. Yeah. Glad to join you. I'm Love so this concept. Diving into the questions. I'm so excited to have yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so if I had uh, met you when you were five years old and asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? How would five-year-old Carrie have answered back then? Oh, gosh. I think uh, things like uh, being a dentist or an accountant were on my radar screen. But someone told me, no, don't be an accountant because my birthday is April 15th. They're like, you'll have a horrible birthday your whole life. <laughs> so that shifted that away. Then the dentistry thing kind of faded over time because I don't like needles or blood or pain. So, you know, that wasn't it either. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was fortunate that I, I had a really good high school counselor. Um, and, you know, I was top of my class, good at math and science, but from a very small town. Um, Not a lot of people in my town even went to college, but my college counselor suggested that I study engineering. And so that's ultimately what I studied at the urging of a a lovely, you know, high school uh, teacher slash counselor. Carrie, what kind of engineering is it? I'm a petroleum engineer by education. An interesting story about that. In my small town, there were about 7,000 people and oil and gas was one of the industries. And so this high school counselor referred me to the the guy I think was probably the only engineer in our small town. He happened to work for the same oil and gas company where my mother worked. And so I went to the office to meet with him. And I remember this vividly sitting across from his desk. And he said, you need to go to the University of Texas and study petroleum engineering and kind of slid this brochure across the desk. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, Mr. Riley, I, I'll look into that. And I had no clue what that was, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll even put in a good word for you. Okay, great. Well, um, as it turns out, that's where I got the best scholarship offers. And that's what I studied. Fast forward about 25 years. And I was at the College of Engineering in Austin. Um, This was, gosh, three or four years ago. And we were breaking ground on a new building. I was standing around visiting with the dean and some other folks. And this man is standing, you know, kind of adjacent to me. And, and, 
looking at me and kind of to an awkward point. And he finally said, you don't know who I am, do you? And it was one of those like wrong place, wrong time. Like you just can't connect the dots in your mind. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm drawing a blank. He goes, it's Mike Riley from Perryton. He, and this was the man who recommended that I study petroleum engineering back mm. in 1995. And I had not seen him since that day, since high school, because I, I just, I don't go back to the small town where I was grew up. And he said, we haven't seen each other, but I just want to tell you, I've been following you every step of the way. And I've oh. never recommended that anyone else go into petroleum engineering. I only recommended you. And I did so with full confidence. And I've watched every step of the way. And you've made me so very proud. It was such oh. a special moment. And, uh, you know, now he lives in Austin and we're able to stay in touch better. But really a full circle moment for me, because even though I don't practice engineering anymore, that educational foundation really opened up so many doors for me. Wow. That, yeah. That what a special moment to reconnect like that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Very special. Mm. And yeah. so you, you worked in the energy space, but now you're doing something really exciting. Um, I as did. Yeah. CEO and founder of Curate Capital. Yes. Uh, give us kind of the 60 second on Curate Capital and how did you get into that? Because that's not <laughs> engineering. That's not in petroleum. Uh, yeah. It's not a straight line from one thing to another, for sure. Yeah, the background, as I alluded to, was early on, all of my decisions were just very practical and pragmatic in nature, right? Like what I studied and where I worked. I was the first in my family to go to college, certainly didn't come from any, um, you know, um, me, you know, means of, of, of um, you know, to speak of. And so it was just, okay, what I studied was just dictated by where I got the best scholarship. What I did for work was dictated by where I got the best job offer, right? So I moved to Houston um, and worked in the oil and gas industry for almost 20 years, um, but was never super passionate about the industry. I, I had a great career. Um, I worked as an engineer, then I got my MBA and ran finance and investor relations. But the real turning point for, for me was that the majority of that career was working for a privately held company called Hillcorp. Um, and I worked directly for the founder, who's now a billionaire. Um, and he ran the company in such an entrepreneurial manner. That's what really inspired me and motivated me. The ways that he incentivized employees and got everyone, you know, motivated and marching in the, the same direction towards the same goals was very inspiring. And as part of that, we had equity in the company. And I was there during a time of big growth. When I started, we were um, under $100 million in value. And when I left, we were north of $5 billion. And mm. so that really gave me the financial freedom to um, choose to step away and figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I knew that I wanted it to be something entrepreneurial, but in an industry um, and in you know, businesses that, that I personally enjoyed more. And so long story short, I started basically reinvesting my own money into female founders as an angel investor. And then three really important things happened. One, I was having great fun, and I wouldn't have used the word fun to describe my professional life before. Number two, I was <laughs> having awesome. great results. I, I really saw the impact of the capital. I saw how these women were able to really scale their businesses with it and, and deliver the results that I, I was looking for. But then number three, I saw the great opportunity set. I had incredible deal flow, and I saw that there were just so many incredible opportunities for investing in these businesses, more than I can do myself. So I kind of naively said let's start a venture capital fund to do more of the same. And that was, gosh, two or three years ago. And, you know, things are going wonderfully. We closed our first fund last summer and are looking to actually launch our second fund probably later this year. So I, having been in the financial sector for 25 years, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I want to start a, a venture fund. 
and mm-hmm. burn and just crash. Um, your fund is doing really well. Uh, you found some amazing uh, teams to back and founders to back. What, uh, I mean, obviously there's challenges, there always is, but what what's going well? What what are you doing that's, that's you know, helped you kind of overcome some of those challenges? Certainly. I think what's going well and what prompted me to start the fund was just the, the incredible deal flow that was coming our direction. I think that's something that a lot of fund managers struggle with. Um, whereas I had that in spades, what I had to learn a lot about was fundraising and fund administration, two other aspects that are critically, critically important. But if you've got good deals coming in the door, I think that's most important. And then you can figure out the other things. So we're just really honored to back some of the best founders in the country. Um, these are incredible women building incredible businesses. And it, we're having a lot of fun doing it. Most of our investments are into consumer brands. And so, you know, it's things that that I personally like, or, you know, my, my friend next door is, is liking and buying. And so it's businesses that are easy to get your head around um, and see how we can make an impact as a fund beyond our capital, but also some marketing um, and social media expertise. And so really, it's just a a very um, uh, dynamic uh, thing to be a part of. We're we're really enjoying it. Things are going well. And uh, it's, you know, from previous conversations we've had, just to clarify, um, not just focusing on women founders, but women founders who are have already demonstrated revenue. So, right. So they're post revenue and um, aren't they also largely, I mean, not necessarily exclusively, but largely or initially focusing on women consumers as well. That's right. That's right. We say that, you know, we're looking for businesses by women for women. And and the thesis is that, you know, women in control over 80% of the purchasing power in households. And so they're making those decisions on what to buy for for themselves, for their children, their families, their households. And so those are really the sorts of businesses where where we're looking to make an investment. And typically, they are already revenue generating um, quite a bit. Um, We look for north of a million dollars of, of annual revenue if I had to look at put a number on it because I don't want to help build it from scratch. That's a, a, a risk uh, a profile and a timeline that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, but we're looking to come in after they found some some good things that are working well for them, right? They've got their product market fit. They've uh, generated revenue. They're growing. And then that capital can be used efficiently to really scale the company versus kind of building from scratch and you know, putting uh, band-aids on problems. You know, we're looking for companies where a lot of things are going really well and we can just speed up that growth. And, and have you found that um, a lot of these women founders have had trouble getting financing prior to? Yes, yes, absolutely. And even though, I mean, we're dealing with the kind of what I consider the cream of the crop of female founders, it's still a struggle. Uh, the statistics say that last year, women received only 1.9% of venture capital funding. And I think that's horrible, but I think that also does open up opportunity, right? So there's lots of data that shows these businesses are underfunded, yet they're overperforming. And so that creates a bit of an arbitrage for us to come in via relationships that we have in the space and really negotiate great deals that are not only, you know, it's not just going to help the company with the capital, but it's also going to, going to generate great returns for our investors. Yeah, that's super compelling. Um, so, you know, when you when you start building a, a fund like this and the team that you have, you start wearing a lot of hats. Um, and one of the, uh, I think, fun things about seeing your business succeed and grow is being able to add some people to your team to maybe fire yourself from some of those roles and, and yes. just out the team more fully. What's what's the next hire that you're massively excited about and why? 
Great question. Uh, one of the things that's been frustrating for me is understanding the traditional venture fund economics. And quite frankly, they don't work because they don't allow you to build out much of a team. Uh, when you get to scale with multiple funds and you know billions under management, that that's one thing. But when you're a small-ish fund, um, as you know, the traditional structure is about two percent management fees. So you can do the math. I, I raise a fifteen million dollar fund, so that gives me approximately three hundred grand to not only pay myself, pay a team, pay the expenses. You know, all sorts of things have to come out of that. So during this season, I had to get really creative with how I lean on other resources. But I did recently add someone to the team that's been a godsend. She has an investment banking background and uh, due diligence and and kind of deal flow navigation are, are in her wheelhouse. So that has finally allowed me to get out of the weeds a little bit. And as we look to launch our second fund, I'd like to, to build out more horsepower on you know, kind of the deal flow side, as well as uh, the investor relations, portfolio company support side, you know, all sorts of things like that. But I've had to be very measured with growing the team just based on the realities of the, the economics of venture. But, but yes, yes, it feels good to have some support now where I can um, have a, a bit of time to catch my breath and actually think and strategize about things versus just doing the day-to-day task for sure. You, you know, you're right. And I, uh, I have the suspicion that in your second fund, you might be exploring some new ways to uh, tackle that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Definitely know. some ideas floating around. Yes. No, but you're right. Um, you know, it's a very static model. Uh, and I think it, it creates risks on the front end because you, you can't always get the help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and that's hearing you say that definitely, um, yeah, I think that's something that needs to be revisited in the industry for, for exactly the reasons you mentioned. Well, uh, I can see why it's a barrier to entry, right? I mean, I, fortunately I had had a separate career and, and had, you know, at least when we started plenty of liquidity to kind of start this up and fund it and all that sort of thing. But, you know, it's, it's not cheap to, to start something and run it, um, uh, you know, from the beginning. Uh, so yeah, you can see why it's not necessarily feasible to start a venture capital fund if you don't have kind of that leg up to start with. Agreed. So yeah. when I think about your business, I also think of your, uh, I mean, you really team with the owners of these companies that you help fund and advise them. It's it's not just a transaction, but really more of a relationship in the way that you're supporting them. Um, and they uh surely um i mean obviously you know you have your your own immediate team but but i i i think i in a bigger sense look at them as being on your team and they have had Absolutely. each of your owners has gone through some just tremendous challenges to get their businesses off off the ground um and have been resilient and strong not least of which the last 3 years right when you've had all sorts yep. of Craziness thrown at all of us. Um, so when your team, your owners or an employee um, does something successful and, and you have a little bit of a win or a big win, how do you like to celebrate? I love this question because I think it is so easy to get down in the weeds and just you know bogged down by the day-to-day grind and not pause to see about how far you've come. And so, you know, sometimes it can be as simple as a, a, an encouraging text or a handwritten letter is kind of my thing or a special book with a note written inside. And so while I aim to be that investor that down the road can do super extravagant things in this 
time. It's been just the thoughtful little things, checking in with them on a weekly basis, um, you know, calling them, writing letters of appreciation, sending text, um, sending flowers every once and then. But it, it's not really the monetary value that makes a difference. It's just being recognized and being seen for what they've accomplished or what they're going through in their businesses. I think that is most meaningful to them. It can be very isolating as a CEO. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that in a discussion recently with uh, another founder. Um, you know, he, uh, the most meaningful gift he'd ever received was just an acknowledgement, somebody thanking mm. you. Yeah. Uh, and, I've, and, and that really, I, that echoes in what you shared that, that and, and, you know, uh, and, and in this case, you doing this for others, but that just that acknowledgement saying, hey, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. Yeah. So powerful. One of our founders, actually, she's someone I had invested in personally years ago. Uh, the first founder I ever invested in, she sent me a handwritten note a few years ago, and I cherish it just as much as anything. I uh, actually keep it framed on my desk uh, because it's so wow. special to me. But she and I went through our ups and downs uh, because we both had some growing up and maturing to do professionally and personally. Um, but it's been nice to, you know, end in such a great place with her. We're very, very close, but we've uh, definitely have been through ups and downs and, and are both better for it and both appreciate each other on a deep level. But that handwritten note really solidified it for me and, and meant a lot uh, to my heart. How many, yeah, I mean, as you say, how many, how many of us get handwritten notes today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a rarity. Uh, a lot of texts. A lot of emails, phone calls sometimes, uh, but a but a handwritten thank you note. Those are right. rare. Yeah. Um, the uh, now what about uh, I, so this is a toughie, but uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm always so curious because because um, everyone has a different approach to this. But what is the best gift you've ever given somebody in a business context? And what is the best gift somebody has given you? And obviously, it's not a, a red Ferrari, but uh, you know what what comes to mind. Well, on the best gift that I've received, I think you know one of the most meaningful was that handwritten letter. But also atop the list would have to be something that actually was a car. Would you really? like to hear that story? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I gotta hear. It. <laughs> it's a pretty powerful story. It goes back to the oil and gas company that I worked at, which was called Hill Corp. And one of our uh, uh, company values, and I've been gone for seven or eight years still, I could rattle off all the company values because they were that prominently displayed and lived out day to day. For instance, any presentation we had uh, to give had to have one of the values associated with it. You know, why, why am I telling you this? Well, because this ties into this value. So anyway, values can so often be just a plaque on the wall, but these were really lived out day to day. And one of our values was ownership. And that was, you know, act like you own the company because you do. Another was alignment, you know, having all of our incentives aligned so that we could all march towards the same goal. And one example of that was I was actually tasked with developing a five-year plan for the company. This was back in around the 2005 to 2010 timeframe. And, uh, you know, I, I was, this was all kind of an engineering project as well as a finance project to study all the basins in the U.S. and figure out what is feasible, you know, what properties could we acquire and how big could this company grow? And as it turned out, the numbers led to, you know, that it would be a, a stretch goal, but that perhaps we could double the size of the company over the next five years. And that, you know, seemed enormous. But yeah, we set that out as our, our big uh, 
hairy, audacious goal, our BHAG, that if we doubled the size of the company, then, then everyone would get a prize. Okay, well, so then it came time to turn. What is that prize going to be? And what's the campaign going to be called? And I can't take credit for this part of it, but I, I'm fully supportive of it. Eventually, the campaign was rolled out and it was called Double Drive. And the concept was if we doubled the size of the company in the next five years, then everyone in the company would get a new car. Ah. And now going back to the time frame that I told you, 2005 to 2010, oh, 2008 and 2009 were pretty dicey in there, right? There were a lot of things um, that happened that could have derailed us. And, and this guy, he was no um, Santa Claus or, you know, you know, whatever fairy, you know, magical being. In fact, he was known for saying, I don't give out pennies from heaven. There are very specific <laughs> metrics for you know bonuses and programs like this. You either meet the metrics or you don't. And I have full belief that if we would have fallen short, oh, there would have been no cars given out. But as it were, there were three metrics um, that were, we were being judged on. Uh, it was like the, the company uh, value, the production, the reserves, whatever. They were very specifically known and measured. And we would report on these openly every month. So the numbers were continually in front of us over a five-year period. Long story short, we did double the size of the company. And so everyone got a new car and it was so wonderfully done. He had arranged, um, yeah, with a, uh, a car company, you know, they had negotiated good deals. And so basically you got a, a 50K allowance. And so if you wanted to go over, you could, um, you just paid the difference. And so in my case, I got a pretty sweet little Mercedes two-door car. This was pre-kids. Um, it was a sweet little car. You know, I paid a, a little bit extra, but it was well worth it. But then the way that we rolled it out, um, he actually owned a equestrian center out west of town. So we went all out there for a you know barbecue lunch or whatever. But then they unveiled, they had parked all the cars on the, the floor of the arena and had our names like, you know, in what is it like shoe polish written on the cars. And yeah. so they they kind of pulled these curtains back. Everyone got their key and everyone ran down there to their car. <laughs> and so we gave out 347 cars uh, through that program. Yeah. And so it was pretty amazing. And what was cool about that program and, and subsequent ones that were similar is that they were the same across the board. So, you know, the uh, receptionist got the same prize that an executive got. And so everyone in the organization was so motivated to support one another and cooperate because we all stood to benefit in the same way. And so it was pretty cool. Um, the next program, I think, was even more meaningful. The next five-year program, believe it or not, we were challenged to double again, which we <laughs> did. Um, but the prize that time, um, he called it Dream 2015 is what we called that program, because what he learned through that process was not everyone needed or wanted a new car, but everyone had something that they had in their dream, you know, scenario that they would do with extra money. And so in that scenario, everyone got $100,000, every employee. Um, and so for some people, that was life changing. And I, I remember the receptionist never thought she'd be able to purchase a house. And so that was her down payment on a house. And it was just really extraordinary to see the lives that, you know, were really changed and impacted by these programs. And again, as he would say, it wasn't pennies from heaven. It was getting rewarded for, you know, meeting goals. It was getting rewarded for going above and beyond. And, you know, Again, he's not some fairy who just likes to give out things. It's not like Oprah, like, here's a car, here's a car. If you think about it from a logical, data-driven financial standpoint, it made sense, right? Like in the first case, maybe we doubled from one and a half billion in company value to three billion. So 
the car program, we gave out 350-ish cars at 50 grand a piece. I should have done this math before, but whatever <laughs> cost that was, I guarantee it was a fraction of the billions in value that that, that he reaped, um, you know, by the business growing that much. So anyway, yeah, yeah, it was a very powerful incentive, um, uh, example of incentive alignment. You know, I carry that with me today because it, it's really incredible what you can do when everyone's incentivized to work and move in the same direction. So very, very cool experience. So yes, I probably the coolest gift I, I received was, was a car with my name painted on it, along with all my other colleagues. Um, it definitely left an indelible uh, uh, mark on me as an employee for sure. Well, I'm going to, thanks to you, Carrie, I'm going to have to rephrase my question now. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually they gave out little toy red Ferraris <laughs> um, as part of that, I think somewhere along the line, it, you know, to put on your desk to keep you motivated. So I still have the little red Ferrari with a bow on it uh, on my uh, shelves in my office as well. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I definitely am going to want to pick your brain in the future on the values thing that you mentioned, because one of the things on our uh, list to get done this year is to really more formally define our values. And to your point, we don't want to have it just be kind of a checklist that goes on your website, but something that is used uh, in a daily, tangible way in the business. Um, yeah. And so I, I'd, it'd be fun sometime to hear more about how, how you did that. Um, Cause that, you know, that, that makes a big difference. And, um, and I also love the, in the car story, which I was totally not expecting uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know, that everybody won. Um, so I can see yeah. how it really brought people together and, and touching to hear, you know, what a big difference it can make for some of the people there that got that. So yeah, uh, that definitely is got to be one of the best, um, best stories I've heard. What, so one of the um, uh, switching gears a little bit to you, um, one of the, I mean, over and over again, if you, you know, talk to entrepreneurs and owners, um, you know, they'll share with you that it's, it's you know, uh, especially successful ones. It's not just, it's not been just roses and rainbows sure. and unicorns along the way, but uh, some tough, tough uh, challenges that you've had to overcome and, and long hours and a lot of stress, uh, especially the last three years where, you know, mm -hmm. We've uh, so many things have, have happened that I never would have ever predicted. Right. Um, but what do you do for self-care to kind of uh, recharge yourself um, just to help you as a person, but also as the leader of the team, um, you know, maintain that that balance. And I, I say the word balance hesitatingly because I don't know what that word means. Like I've never seen exactly. it. It's this thing I'm working towards. but. Uh, you know, what, what are some ways that you like to, uh, recharge and, and do you, you know, uh, how, how good of a job do you feel at, at permitting yourself that time to, to just, uh, do some stuff for you? Sure. A few comments on that. Yeah. The whole balance thing, I think is such a misnomer. I was actually speaking on a panel yesterday and the, yeah, that question always kind of, what do you think about work-life balance? How do you balance things? I say, well, let me give you my hot take, maybe an unpopular opinion, but there's no such thing. And, and they say, well, how do you do it all? You don't, <laughs> you don't, and you can't. Okay. Anyone who tells you you can do it all is wrong. You can't be everything to everyone at all times. You just can't. 
that's physically, logistically, practically not possible for anyone. And so for me, I think of life as like, there are different seasons of life. And for each season, things will look differently. But in each season, you can define your priorities. And for me right now, my priorities are taking care of myself, taking care of my family, and running my business. And if anything doesn't fall in one of those three categories, it's probably getting a no from me right now. I used to do a lot of, you know, social events, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of charity galas and all sorts of things that are good. They're great things, but they don't fit in my priorities right now. So I say no to a lot of things as I filter through those priorities. If they don't serve one of those three things, it's got to take a back seat right now. That's just the reality. I'm in that season where I've got young kids who require a lot of hands-on attention, a lot of time, those sorts of things. So that's where my time has to be spent right now. So balance is is kind of a myth, I think. It's this like, you know, made up thing that we want to think we're going to be good at everything all the time. And we're just not. We got to focus on what's important in this season of life. It may look different down the road, but for now, those are my priorities. Now on the, the question of self-care, I feel like when people, especially women, probably talk about self-care, everyone thinks about, oh, we're going to go get a massage. And I like a massage as much as anyone else, you know, but like it's this almost like this frivolous notion of like, indulgence, you know, and for me, that's great. I love that. But from a practical standpoint, I had to get really serious about self-care about a a year plus ago at the beginning of 2022, because truly I run myself into the ground. I had sacrificed everything to start this up. I was um, facing some really hardship, some really hard things in the fundraising process, um, challenges that I've spoken about, challenges that I won't ever speak about because they're <laughs> private by nature. You know some, but there were a lot of um, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, literal tears. I mean, times I didn't know if we were going to meet our goal. I didn't know how we were going to get there. I didn't know if we were going to get there. I mean, really hard things. Um, throw in that I was also unexpectedly pregnant in my 40s. You know, throw in the pandemic and the shutdown and the you know all that sort of stuff. And it. I woke up in 2022 going, something has to give. Um, my my physical body has paid a price for this. Like I just knew my body wasn't functioning. So I had to start paying more attention to my health, get healthier, kind of reset my body. But part of that was also um, then saying, what am I going to do to, to prevent this from happening again? This burnout, this fatigue, this, you know, feeling that I just sacrifice my well-being. And so I, I have certain things that are non-negotiable for me now. And for me, part of that is exercising every day. It's moving my body every day. And I mean, literally every day. Um, and I'm not saying that I go to the gym for an hour every day. I'm not saying I do some you know high intensity cardio workout every day. For me, it's making sure at least, you know, ten, it could be 10, 15 minutes someday, or it might be an hour someday, but I am doing For me right now, I'm in a yoga phase and that's my deal. I'm doing yoga every day. It gets the physical tension out of my body. I've got to do something every day. And thankfully, I have a supportive partner who understands that. And I'm, you know, before I um, can really tune in with the family, I'm like, I got to go do my yoga first or, you know, maybe it's first thing in the morning. It's whenever I can fit it in. But, you know, thankfully, he understands and supports that. And he, too, has something that he does to take care of himself every day. So for me, that was key. Also, just paying attention to, you know, what I eat, what am I drinking, what am I putting in my body, how, you know, is all that affecting me, making sure I get ample sleep. Like, self-care doesn't mean just indulgences. Sometimes it's doing the basics right and well. It's carving out time to read and learn and think. 
um, because we can get so bogged down with all the details of running our businesses that we just don't even have the the capacity hardly to dream about what's next because we're so bogged down in the here and now, and that doesn't serve any of us well long term. So for me, I had to refocus on my physical health and well being, and then also just allow myself the space I need to to think about the future and plan for that. Yeah, what I love about that is you started with how you have created rules that help you say no. Mm-hmm. And, uh, saying no is one of the most powerful things you can do to create the space you need. Um, and it's hard, I admit it. Uh, I've not always been good at that. And I think we all uh, uh, struggle with that at different times in different ways. There's actually a really good book uh, on it uh, called Essentialism. That mm-hmm. If you haven't read it, uh, you know. It's great, yeah. Man, it's just... Uh, it's it's the kind of book I probably need to read once a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, it really resonated with me that, you know, or I, I certainly want listeners too to understand that that you're starting by saying how you say no and, and what what you say yes to is is it all starts with that. Because you're not gonna create the time you need for self-care without creating those those boundaries. And I also appreciate your you're saying that it's not just about kind of going out to a Michelin restaurant, you know, five-star restaurant or getting the massage as fun and beautiful as both of those are, but, um, you know, 200%, just getting a good night's sleep, drinking enough water. I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound exciting, but basics. Right. Um, right. and I'm, I'm certainly with you. If I don't, if I don't move, I don't get exercise. I get grumpy and, uh, makes such a, big difference for, for me as well. And everybody has their own method, but, uh, um, I'm really, uh, appreciate your sharing both, you know, how you create that and, and the fact that you're, um, actively working on it. How, how would you rate, uh, I know you're their biggest supporter and, and fan, but how would you rate the, uh, you know, uh, well, how, how many companies are there now in your portfolio total? Is it 10 or 13? I, I can't remember. 15 right now. 15. 15, wow. Believe it or not. Yeah. So uh, how, how would you rate the founders of those 15 in terms of how good of a job they're doing uh, on self-care? Yeah, I think that's a struggle and something I ask them about because I want them to know that you know, I care about them more as a person than just, you know, as a CEO. And um, I don't think they necessarily get asked about their personal well-being a lot. It's, why are revenue numbers not being targeted? Why is this not working? Why is that not working? Or, or how is that going? It's all on the business side. So I say, how are you doing? And the number of times I've seen them kind of pause and have to collect <laughs> themselves because they're, they, one, they haven't been asked that by someone else, but they maybe haven't stopped to ask themselves that in a while. You know, you just get on autopilot running your business and it's, it's kind of hard and uncomfortable to, to check in with yourself sometimes. So, you know, we try to, to, to not just care about them, but actually like take actions to um, care for their well-being as a person beyond just their professional role in our world. Well, and I think sometimes people think they're separate, but I, I yeah. very much think they're 100% the same because um, if you're not well, you're not going to be able to give your best to, to, to the business side either. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think it's really important that everybody um, not see those as being totally different. Right. Uh, but I think that's sometimes, to your point, why people put it off because, like, oh, I'm being asked about this number, that number, this, you know, KPI, that OKR, um, and no one's gonna, no one's gonna do that for you, right? I mean, we have right. to be responsible for 
making that time. And, um, and I hope you keep that up. I hope, I hope you keep asking them that and keep that pressure on them because without it, they're, they're you know, they're human. They're going to succumb to that pressure to keep focusing on the next thing. And I just, um, I love that you care about them. So I know they're also friends who have become friends and, and people you care about, but, um, uh, well, the fact of the matter is that that we're going to be better business people when we take better care of ourselves as well. So it's not necessarily just a selfish thing either. We're, we're better for our families and our communities and our businesses when we're in a better condition ourselves. Mm. So uh, one last question. And um, uh, I, I, again, I'm just so excited that, that we were able to make this work. And, and I really appreciate you making time to be on here today with us. Um, the question I wanted to ask you about was also has to do kind of with balance, but in a different light, more in a business light. Um, in, in order to build uh, a business, you've got to take risks. You've got to try new things and not all of those are going to work. Um, if you say yes to everything, you're going to get in big trouble fast. If, if you yeah. say no to everything, then you're not going to be sufficiently innovating or customizing or, or, or being, um, adaptive to, to opportunities that come up. How do you, you know, uh, coach some of the people you work with and invest in around that balance of, you know, you need to give your team the space to fail, mm -hmm. but at the same time as a, as a owner and founder, you also have to hold, you have to create accountability as well. And those sometimes seem or feel like two opposites. Yeah. Um, what, you know, can you share either from your experience prior or to what, you know, you're doing uh, in, in uh, building and running a venture business? How, you know, what's your approach to, to that balance? I think it starts with a level of self-awareness, which sometimes comes easy to, to people, sometimes not so much. And what I've found, particularly maybe the types of businesses or stages where we invest, we often run into the case where you've got, you know, the founder had this great idea. She started this company and it, she's grown it to this point, but she may not be the person to lead it to the next point. Um, mm. Or she may need supplemental support around her, right? And so really um, the, the best founders and, and ultimately the best business outcomes as I've seen it are those founders who are keenly self-aware of what they're good at, what they enjoy doing, and then also what they don't enjoy doing and what their weaknesses are, because then they can fill in those holes around them and free themselves up to do more of what they're good at and more of what they actually enjoy and more of what made this company great to start with. It's so easy for them to, as the company grows, get bogged down by these responsibilities that aren't in their wheelhouse or they're not fulfilling to them. Even if they can do them, that doesn't mean they should be doing them. So that's one thing we talk a lot about is, is really being self-aware, understanding your zone of genius, your, you know, strengths, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there are all sorts of, you know, different frameworks for how you think about it, but really understanding where, you know, maybe the company has outgrown them in certain ways and how can we we supplement not take them out of the picture but how can we get them back to doing what they're good at and surround themselves with more support because that's ultimately going to be more fulfilling for them they're going to be happier and generate better outcomes when they're doing more of what they're good at self-awareness that's uh that's huge and sometimes hard um what uh so i've just got to ask because i i I have seen you in so many different roles 
be very, very successful and, and be able to add value in so many different ways uh, in your fund and for your uh, the companies that you're, you're mentoring and coaching and, and investing in. Um, I would argue that you, you're wearing a lot of different hats. Um, you know, what is the hat that, uh, you know, what, what do you feel you're, and I hate to put you on the spot. I know you're, you're very humble by nature, but I'm gonna put you on the spot anyways. Uh, uh. what is your, <laughs> what do you, because you at, you help so many different ways, but what, um, what do you feel your superpower is that, um, you know, it's really, you're, you're in your wheelhouse when you're getting to do X, Y, and Z. What is that? Uh, so you're going to turn the self-awareness thing on me. I'm going to, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not a lot of self-awareness here when it comes to saying my superpower. I, I think that generally speaking, I mean, outside of, you know, the, the role that I am, I think I'm pretty resilient. I mean, I've, you know, not to, to belabor the point, but been through a lot of crap. Um, yeah. And and I think that I always find a way to come out on top. Um, so I think just being resilient is so super important. But in terms of you know the business and what what I enjoy is, I like looking forward and and kind of creating the the strategy and the vision for where we're going. And I think that's one reason the the you know, a couple of years took a toll on me because I was so in the weeds, like all the administrative, all the fundraising, all all the everything, the day-to-day you know, tasks were falling on me. And I just felt like I was drowning because I kind of need space to step back and think and envision the future and strategize and to, to research what's going on in the world. I need to read. I need to think. I need, I need some space, right? I need some margin. And when I feel like I don't have that margin, um, you know, I feel like I'm drowning. And I know I've taken calls with you when you probably have asked me how I'm doing. I'm like, how do you think I'm doing? I'm drowning, right? Like, I mean, there's just like no room because everything was just so, so yeah. heavy and so bogged down in the minutia. So I, I don't function well in that. Um, I like to kind of think of what's next, what's, you know, ne- the next kind of company that's going to be trending, uh, you know, the next hot space, what, what's the future of venture capital? How should we structure our next fund to overcome some of the challenges of the conventional model? Like I like thinking um, about the, the future and what's next for us. And you can really hear in your voice, you get excited when you're describing that. And I, that, <laughs> that self-aware, that's why I wanted to put you on the spot, because I want everybody on this podcast to really get that, that when you're doing something you're passionate about, you're going to do better. You're going to feel energized. So when you're doing work that you truly just can't relate to or don't like, I mean, it may be important and you don't need to get done, but, but, you know, there's too much of that and too long. At some point you do burn out. And, yeah. um, and so when you know you're building that business, it's key not only that you make sure that you continue to uh, make time, and that you know what those things are for you, so that you right. continue to do that. But key that we also listen to our our employees and our teams to make sure they're doing what they're really passionate about, and um, that can also help you be successful without burnout as an overall team. And, and it's, yes, it's hard sometimes to verbalize, you know, we're, 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 uh, you know, sometimes people say, I I don't want to feel like I'm bragging or something, uh, you know, but it's so important to be able to say, Hey, I'm good at this. I love this and other stuff. Not so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Uh, I had a funny, uh, experience on that in my, on my own team where, uh, um, someone in our operations team, 
I asked her, I said, Hey, what do you, what do you love to do? And what do you love not to do? And we were kind of going through that exercise internally. And, and there's kind of an awkward pause. And she says, well, if I'm being really honest with you, which is when, you know, it's going to get interesting. Uh She goes, "If, if I could have it any way, I'd like, these are the tasks that I love working on. And I'd be really happy if I could never speak to a human being again. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll talk to you once in a while, but uh, you know, um, and, and it was really funny, but, but, but so true. And I love that she was able to say that and share that um, because it, she, it was just that, like you said, that self-awareness of, and she is just a rock star at the stuff that she's good at. If I were to, you know, put her on a, you know, cold calling mission or, you know, doing nothing but being on the phone with people all day, she would hate me. And, yep. uh, and so, but, but it starts, but I'm not a mind reader, you know? And so it, it, it really made a big positive difference for her to know, Hey, here's what I love to do. And I'm really good at. Um, and, and so I, I appreciate Carrie, you being game to, to role model that and, 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 and use it as a real example of, of how you're putting that into action. So, uh, Thank you. Pleasure to have you on today. Um, oh, thank you. It's an honor. I, yeah. I thank you for your leadership and all the things that I've learned from you because it's certainly a two-way street in this relationship. And I'm grateful to know you and grateful that you're putting this content out there so that more people can benefit from your wisdom and, and those in your network. Well, I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I hope you'll agree, but I feel like the last three years that our country has just been so there's been so much judgment. Um, and, and at the same time, there's, there's people like you and your, uh, you know, companies that you've invested in that are doing really fun stuff and building. Um, and we just get so, I think, caught up in some of the news headlines and the political fights and the, you know, just different issues that, that we're grappling with as a country culturally that, uh, we forget to celebrate. So that's right. Everything's been so heavy. So thank you for, for shining a light on the, the positive and for celebrating the the little and big things with us. So I, uh, I, I challenge you to keep being you and keep celebrating, you know, uh, you, you had an amazing, we didn't get to talk about it, but you held an amazing party to celebrate uh, your team and all of your investors and, 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 and a lot, you know, everybody connected to your, your companies that you invested in last year. It was so much fun. Thank and, you. you know, keep, I, I hope you keep doing that in small ways and, and, and sometimes in big ways and, 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 and really pray that you continue to, to be there for your team and encourage them to, to keep investing in their, their wellness and self-care because this is too easy to, to not do it. So yeah, keep, keep, uh, I, I look forward to following, uh, you know, your success closely, both, uh, uh, as an investor, but as a friend and, uh, um, excited about this year together and, Thank you again for jumping on today. Well, same here. Thank you for all your support in so many ways. Thank you for listening to the Celebrate Like a CEO podcast. If you are a successful business owner or CEO and want to be a guest on our show, be sure and reach out by sending me an email to stefan at whitwell.net and put celebrate in the subject line. We'd love to hear your story. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave a review. Be sure to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. And remember, celebration is the key to success without burnout.